Amen. All right. Hey, in case you don't know, we're in week number two of a series of sermons we're entitling Life in the Heartland. Now, don't think heartland as in here, but think of a land that Jesus walked in, in his world, where it was touched by his heart. And that's his command for him, for us also to walk in his land the land of the heartland. Now, what it is, Matthew 14 is just about a 24-hour period, a snapshot from the life of Jesus, and we're calling it Day Spring, the overall title. You know, it's a day in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ and what happened. And last week, that one of the songs the uh, Griffith family sang was just so perfect, even for last week, when we talked about life just doesn't make sense. And my goodness, we saw that Wednesday, you know, when, when a very dear, sweet lady, Brenda Hefner, Went home to be the Lord, totally unexpected. A lovely lady, a believer in Jesus Christ. And just like that, she was ushered into eternity. So life often doesn't make sense. But then we're going to usher in today and look at what happens after that when life doesn't make sense. And it's a beautiful opportunity, again, to wed our senior adults. And, and again, I, as you see the movie this afternoon, you'll see some faces of those that we love so much who have gone on to glory. But then also this incredible building. And Brent, you are exactly right. I, I honestly believe this. Um, this building, I think, was a turning point for our church. Well, it anchored a turning point. This building solidified the vision of what Dorisville Baptist Church was going to be. Uh, we made a conscious decision to build a, a building that would be an awesome tool to minister to people in the name of Jesus Christ. And you'll hear a little bit about that this afternoon in our, in our portion of the service where we talk about that. But the building you're sitting in is a testimony of where God called us to go and the obedience of the people of Dorsville, those who are with us still and those who have gone on to glory. The obedience of the people to say, yes, God, we'll do exactly what you want us to do. And today, for our scripture in Matthew chapter 14, we have the testimony, the, uh, the testimony of a miracle that was so important. Besides the resurrection, it's the only miracle mentioned in all four Gospels. In other words, the impact was so great in this miracle that all the Gospel readers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all of them decided under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, was led by the Holy Spirit to include this in, in their, in their uh, gospel writing. Now, now let me say this. I understand. I understand that uh, this is a very familiar story. And I'm hoping and asking that perhaps we can look beyond how familiar it is and ask God to give us new insight and new truth in what He is doing in our lives right now and what He did in the lives of other people. Now, last week, when we talked about life doesn't make sense, we, we talked about the murder of John the Baptist in prison. And, of course, John was the forerunner of Jesus Christ. Uh, his birth, though not virgin, his birth was prophesied and, and put out there that he was going to be the forerunner of Christ. He was the cousin of Jesus Christ. And we had to pause and go, God, what were you thinking? I mean, couldn't you have prevented Herod from lopping his head off? And God could have. God could have. But somehow, in his sovereign, in his plan, that is what he worked through. And often that happens in our life, doesn't it? Life just doesn't make sense. So how does that impact Jesus? How does it impact the folks? Well, take your Bibles and look at Matthew chapter 14. And we're going to look at, starting in verse number 13, about this incredible miracle. And try, try, try not to let the fact that we know it so well. Now, let me say this, though. Also this. We have a tendency sometime to go, 
Well, did that really happen? I remind you that what we look at today is not Reader's Digest. I remind you today it's not the Daily Register. I remind you today that it is the God-breathed, holy word of God. So, yes, dear friend, it did really happen. Now, the Bible says in verse number 13, when Jesus heard about it, and I reckon you can probably imagine what it was. It was the beheading of his cousin, John. When Jesus, when word filtered down and got to Jesus, he responds in a certain way. The Bible says when he heard about it, he withdrew from there by boat to a remote place to be alone. In other words, when Jesus heard about the beheading of his beloved cousin, John, he pulled away. He pulled back. And we know that's often what we have to do also. It's an appropriate thing for us that we pull back when life throws us a curveball. When we don't understand God, when we don't understand life, we often need to pull back. But you know what the most important teaching of this is? Again, a... You'll find out as I teach that I repeat certain verses over and over again that teach a powerful truth. And I want you to hear this very clearly. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15 clearly teaches that Jesus is a Savior who understands and loves us. He's not a Savior who's out now in heaven, ascended from the grave, and now sitting in heaven somewhere and has no clue about what's going on in our lives. The very pain that we feel, Jesus feels. Let me read it to you. Here's Hebrews 4, 15 and 16. For we do not have a high priest, speaking about Jesus, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tested in every way as we are yet without sin. There's an old song that says, Jesus knows your hurt and Jesus knows your pain. When that family, the Hefner family, gathered at Reed Funeral Chapel yesterday about 1 o'clock, Jesus knew their hurt and Jesus knew their pain. And when you go to that cancer doctor and you feel the uncertainty of the future, I want you to understand something. We have a Savior who understands your hurt and understands your pain. And when you go through life and there's life difficulties such as as hurt and betrayal and pain and all those, Jesus understands those things. We don't have a Savior who doesn't understand. We have a Savior who who does understand. Amen? Now, Now, listen to this. Verse, verse 14, 16 says this. Therefore, therefore, because, because we have this kind of a Savior, therefore let's approach the throne of grace with what? With boldness. So we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in the proper time. So let's be boldly. Understand we have a God who loves and a God who cares and a God who understands. And when we go to Him, we receive that grace and mercy that we need. It's so powerful. I'm glad, I'm glad we have a Savior today who hurts like we hurt, understands pain, understands suffering, because he had pain and he suffered. Now, the Bible says this, and this is where we start seeing the heart of Jesus Christ. The Bible says, when the crowds heard this, heard what? Heard that Jesus had left. When they understood, when they found out that Jesus had gotten into a boat and was leaving, when they heard this, the Bible says they followed him on foot from the towns. A couple of things here. Notice this. When Jesus went out into the boat, he may have gone across. He may have followed the shoreline. But the bottom line is that the area where he was at was not that large. And they were able to see Jesus as he was in the boat. And when he left, they left. When he, have you ever wondered why people 
who were so much not like Jesus. I mean, you know, in the religious world, you know, the religious world, the, the logical people, since he's the son of God, he's a rabbi, he's a teacher. In the religious world, you know, it would seem like the scribes and the Pharisees, those who were very religious, would kind of go with Jesus. But has it ever struck you odd that the people most not like Jesus were drawn to him? And you want to know why? His heart. His heart, guys. Listen, the big teaching that God is giving your pastor again this year is that the biggest thing, the biggest thing, the biggest thing about about who we are as a church, who I am as a believer, who you should be as a believer, is this fact called God's love. You know why? Because God repeats it over and over and over and over again. He teaches us and teaches us that we're to love Him and we are to love others. It just won't leave. And I honestly believe as a church that in the future we must always keep that in focus. God, we are to love you and God, we are to love people. And somewhere at the back of the line is our love for ourselves. Our love for ourselves. So, so the Bible says that these people came and they came on foot from towns. So here's what I thought about having us do the wave today. But I thought there might be a deacon's meeting after church. So I decided not to. But you remember the way, don't you stand up and you go like this and you guys would stand up, you do like that and you stand up and you do like that. You know, it's really cool to ball, you know, a ball, like a ball game. If you've ever seen that, it's really, really cool. Well, apparently again, what happens is there was probably a pretty good crowd that started out. But as they went around the edge of the lake, and of course there'd be multiple towns around the edge of the lake because that's where life was happening. As they went through, people began saying, apparently, hey, what's going on? Jesus is over there. And the crowd got larger and larger and larger. More and more people, because they knew Jesus, they knew his heart, where Jesus is or was, they wanted to be. Lord, help our church to be that way. I'm telling you, when the world says, I don't want to go to that church. I've told this story too many times, but I'm going to tell it one more time and we'll try to put it to bed. Because it happened about two years ago. When I was at Walmart... And I was going through the line. I was trying to do that preacher thing. You know, we preachers are supposed to invite people to church. And so that, that lady was there. And I was, you know, being my normal crazy self, you know, and teasing her and stuff. And things like that. Judy's with us. With me. So I wasn't flirting or nothing. And so we're just talking and stuff. And I said, hey, do you go to church anywhere? And she said, no, no, I don't go. And I said, well, I'm the pastor at Dorisville. We'd love to have you. Have you? And you know what she said? I will never go to that church. Because a person who's a member of your church split my family up. That is not what you want to hear when you're sharing an invitation to church. Amen? We want to be the kind of... Now, we'll never be perfect, but we want to be the kind of church when people think of Jesus, they think of us. We need to be the kind of church that people want to be around because Jesus continuously shows up and worship and ministry here at Dorisville Baptist Church. Not because of the music, not because of the preacher, not because of this or not because of that, but because they say Dorisville has a heart like Jesus. Oh God, let that be our goal. Oh God, let that be our goal. And I'll tell you something. The incredible thing is, 10 years ago, that's what happened. When we chose to build this building and the tool it was we made a conscious decision god we want to be a church with a heart like jesus we'll talk more about that this afternoon so the people followed him on foot from the towns look at verse 14 and as he stepped ashore in other words he steps out of the boat the bible says three things happened he saw a huge crowd he had compassion for them and he healed their sick he saw a huge, huge crowd now you gotta remember something 
Why? Where were they going? They're going to get a little bit of rest. They're going to pull back because Jesus had lost his cousin and, and frankly, the boys were tired. And so they pull back away. But when they get there, instead of a remote place where they can rest, they see a huge crowd. You know, the Bible says that Jesus, the Bible teaches that Jesus says that he came to seek and to save that which was lost. So let me ask you a question. When he steps out of the boat and puts his foot down on the shore, he looks up and listen, there are thousands of people. Thousands of people. He steps up, he looks up, and there are smiles and eyeballs everywhere he can see. What do you think he thought? Because we know his heart, we know what he thought. Here's an opportunity. Because I've come to seek and to save that which was lost. And he's looking at these eyeballs and white teeth and going, I think... I have some lost people here. See, we need to see like Jesus sees. Because see, the boys, I promise you, we're going to look here in verse number 15 in just a minute. The guys didn't think that way. The guys, okay, Jesus saw an opportunity. The boys saw a problem. So they get out of the boat, and here's what's going on in their brains. It don't look like a restful place to me. This looks like just more work and more work and more work. What was the difference? Their difference was their heart. Even though these men had sold their fishing nets and their boats and other occupations to follow Jesus, they had not yet fully developed the heart of Jesus. You know, they would say, Miss Linda's famous for saying, you know, I didn't sign up for that. Well, let me tell you something. If they were truthful here, and they would be truthful with us, they say, when we initially followed Jesus, we knew he might be the Messiah. We knew he was unusual like no other man. But in their brain, Messiah meant prince. It meant king. It meant overcomer. It meant riches. It meant fame. It meant positions and all of that. They didn't understand it meant crucifixion. Both his and theirs. They didn't understand it might mean prison and a head being cut off. Not John, but James. I remind you, only John, the Apostle John, lived to a ripe old age. And he did that in exile. This, thought, this concept and thought of name it and claim it and riches and all of that. Let me tell you something. That may be somewhere, but it's not in the Bible. Jesus said, in this world you'll have tribulation. So if you, you say, I didn't sign up for that. Well, you did. If you trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, you signed up to sell out to Him to help win this world to Jesus Christ. And that's who Dorsville is, by the way. If you're here today and you're, you're wondering, well, do I want to become a part of this church? Do I want to become a member of this church? Do I want to be a part of this family and this team? You need to understand something. I know it's the leadership's heart, and I believe a chunk of our people understand that we are here to love people, to love our God and to love people. So, so when this all happened, he saw, he saw a huge crowd. He said, I see an opportunity. They saw a problem. And the Bible says he felt compassion on them. As he looked at all those eyeballs and teeth, he had compassion. He had compassion. I don't know if this is a good definition or not, but it sure says well. Compassion is love in action. See, Jesus didn't just talk a good game. He played a good game. Jesus reached out and touched and loved on people. 
And again, it's not enough for a church to talk about it. We have to be willing to do it. I love, I love Matthew uh, chapter 9 and verse 36. Just a few chapters back. And when he saw the people, when he saw the multitude, he was again moved with compassion for them because they were weary. And, and they were scattered like sheep having no shepherd. They were harassed like sheep with no shepherd. Oh God, let us see through the eyes of Jesus. Let us not see people as a problem. But may we see people as God's mission. I've come to seek and to save that which was lost. So he saw them and he had compassion on them. You know I said Wednesday night? If I were to ask you today, as a believer in Jesus Christ, when are you most like God? You say, well, I, I think I'm probably most like God when I get up at 4 o'clock in the morning and read his word. I feel very godly. You might say, well, personally, I feel most godlike when I am praying. That when I carve out time in my day for prayer. And, and then, of course, we would say, well, you know, I feel pretty godly when, when I go to church. You know, this is God's house and God's property. God's reading from God's book. And we sing songs about God. I feel pretty godly when I go to church. And if you do that once and then twice and three times, you have to say, I feel pretty godly. We're missing it. We are most like God when we love people. We are most like God when we love people. A church is most like God when it, not when it builds big, tall steeples for the sake of big, tall steeples. The church is most like the church when it loves people. Oh, yes. And you know what? To some degree, to a lot, I, want to, I don't want to sound, that's what I'm saying, I'm wrestling with this myself, but to a big chunk of degree, that door's filled. We could have bought, we could have built, we'll tell that story. We could have built a big old fancy sanctuary. In fact, we had plans for a big old fancy sanctuary with a big old tall steeple. steeple. But you know what happened? God said no. I mean, he shut her down. I mean, shut it down. People tell you the story that we're here. And we finally put it on hold. And then God said yes to this. It's incredible. It's incredible what he did. He had compassion. We should have compassion. And the Bible says that he healed their sick. He touched their sick. You know, the way Jesus verified, one of the ways Jesus verified who he was by the miracles that he did. And that's why when you go to Africa, where the word of God is not fully understand, we see some pretty dramatic miracles. I'll never forget the girl who fell out of a tree, landed on her head from 25 feet up. We were doing, we were planning the funeral. I would have done it, but I'd been a part of it. Matt, John, or Matt, uh, What's his name? Matt. Yeah, you know Matt. Matt was there. Randy Oliver was there. They couldn't do a thing. They wrapped her head, and it was a long night. And 24 hours later, she was walking. 24 hours later. And you talk about speaking to those, those lost African people. It shouted, there is a God, because they knew we prayed. And not that our prayer is anything, but we prayed to a God who could change a dying girl to a living girl. And that God, that God still does that here. But see, we have something that's pretty powerful. We have this. I think that's one reason we don't see as many miracles in America. It's because we have open access to the Word of God. We do see miracles. But this is the power also of the gospel 
of Jesus Christ. You know, the Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 24, He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By His wounds, by His wounds, by His wounds, you have been healed. And it's not talking about cancer there. The context clearly is salvation. In fact, He, he does more than, than heals our wounds. He just spiritually resurrects us. And one day we'll physically resurrect us. That's who He is. So when Jesus showed up, people flooded there because of His heart. He saw them as opportunities. He saw them as an opportunity to do and to be who He was, the Savior of the world. He also saw it an opportunity to have compassion, which is love in action. He loved He didn't talk again. He did it. And they touched Him. He went... Well, I don't know an example, but, but he touched lepers and we watched as they watched as their body was healed, as limbs were restored. Blind men who could not see, their eyes were open, deaf men who could not hear, dead girls were raised back to life, dead men were raised back to life. All verifying, I am the Messiah, the Savior of the world. So that's the heart of Jesus. But look at the heart of the guys. Verse 15. When evening came. Now this, can we just be honest? This was not their plan. I promise you their plan was to find that quiet place where they could go and they could rest. And it's almost like they say, enough already. I think we say that to God sometimes. We'll we'll, we'll go along with the God thing for a while and finally we might say, now we wouldn't say it publicly, but we'll say in our hearts, enough already. Well, when evening came, the disciples approached him and said... Now, I want you to notice something. Notice there is no, hi, Jesus, rabbi, teacher. There's no Lord. They, they give him a lecture. <laughs> they actually kind of lecture him. Isn't that weird? I don't suppose you've ever lectured God, have you? <laughs> you ever told God what you think He ought to do and when He ought to do it now? Not that you're going to confess to, but hey. So, so here's what they say. One, this place is a wilderness. Hey, Jesus, do you understand? You know, it's funny. It was a nice remote place when they wanted to be there. When they were tired of it, it's a wilderness all of a sudden. This is a, do you understand where you are? And Jesus would go, uh, yeah, I created this place. Everything that exists, exists by me. So yeah, I created this wilderness. I created this remote place. Do you understand where you are? Do you understand what time it is? It's already late. In the Greek, it carries the idea somewhere after 3 o'clock, it was just about time for supper. You understand how late it really is. Do you understand what time it is? And then they tell him what to do. Send the disciples, send the, I'm sorry, send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy food for themselves. Hey, Jesus, have you forgot where we are? Hey, Jesus, have you, have you failed to look at the clock? Hey, hey, Jesus, let me give you, let us tell you what you need to do. Have you ever told God what he ought to do? See, that's what we learn in our prayer lives. Our prayer life is not us telling God what to do. Hey, God, this is what we want done. No, it's surrendering 
and saying, hey, God, your will be done, not mine. It's your game, not mine. You're, you're the creator, and guess what? I'm the created. You're sovereign, and I'm not. So, so they tell him, here's what we think you ought to do. You ought to send the crowds away, and they could go to villages and buy food for themselves. Because you see, God, they're not our responsibility. There's a lot of churches today who think the lost are not their responsibility. That's a good place for an amen. There's a lot of churches today who think the lost are not their responsibility. Guess what? They are. They are. See, this church, any church, is not about us. It's not. And again, 10 years ago, this body made that decision that this we're going to build something that's not about us. I am thankful we have a wonderful place to worship in. Let's, come on, it's not the prettiest place in town. But that was a decision this church family made 10 years ago that reaching people was more important than the facility that we worshiped in. That's huge, guys. That's huge. I mean, wow. It's, if you want to say, you know, I tell you what. There's two stories in my life that I'll never forget. And you say, Dwayne, what's your favorite God stories? Number two is when God closed a door and opened a door. And the church I pastored, the church I pastored said, okay, God, you want to make a pastor smile? That's when the people go, isn't that right, Brent? Isn't that right, David? When the people say, okay, God, that's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. And this church, the, the church you're sitting in, the church you're a member of, was a church who said, okay, God, we'll do it. We'll do it. And it's just incredible. So they give them this lecture. You know, don't know where you are. Time's gotten away. This is not our responsibility. Send them to town. Let them buy their own food. Well, the Bible says in verse 16, Jesus said, well, they don't need to go away. Do you know why they didn't need to go away? Because they were right where they should be. Oh, come on, that was pretty good now. Don't worry about dumplings. The reason they didn't need to go away is because they were right where they need to be. And I'm telling you guys, I'm telling you, the church in North America needs to learn this great lesson. When lost people come to church and they dress weird and they got tats and more piercings, we don't, and we don't even want to talk about what's pierced. And they come in church. And we want to say, don't they know? No, they don't know. And they are right where they should be. Because I'm telling you, the gospel of Jesus Christ is what it's all about. (laughs) It's what it's all about. It's what it's all about. So they didn't need to go anywhere because they're in the right spot. And not only that, where would they go? We're going to send them to, we're going to send them to some, some place out in society? Have you learned yet? Hey, 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 hey. Have you learned that the White House doesn't have the answer? Don't y'all bank on any candidate because it's hopeless. You you think the House, the the, the Congress, the House of Congress has got the answer? Uh Uh-uh. You think Springfield's got the answer? Have you figured out they don't? I'm going to go with Jesus. Because, because, and I mean that, that's just not preacher rhetoric, you name it. I just believe if there's any hope for our country, if there's any hope for our state, it is the name of Jesus Christ and the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm telling you, 
Get it. We just got to jump all in board because I'm telling you, America needs Jesus and Illinois needs Jesus and Harrisburg needs Jesus. Not the Baptist denomination, not the non-denominational, not the Catholic. They need Jesus right where they should be. And then he says this. And then he says, you give them, you give them something to eat. You give them. And, and they're looking, they're going, we ain't got nothing. But you see, nothing when it involves God's people and God's provision is enough. Nothing with God's people and God's provision is enough. See, Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians and said, the love of Christ compels us. The love of Christ compels us. And I'm telling you, when you you mix in God's people with the love of Jesus Christ, the unconditional love, the the for God so loved the world love, the the, the Romans 5, 8 love, that God demonstrated his love toward us and that while we were at sinners, Christ died for us, that love, it's enough. It's enough. And then we jump in. We jump in verse 17. But we only have. Okay. Wrong response. When we say we only have, we're putting God in a box. When we say we only have, we're saying our God's not big enough. When we say we only have, you could translate that from the Greek. It translates, we ain't never done that before. And we are Baptists, don't forget. You know how many Baptists it take to change the light bulb? None, because they go, change? <laughs> don't worry, there's one for the Methodist and the Presbyterian and non or what else there. No, we, we, we only have. No, no, the right response is, now listen, listen, here's what we have. See, when, and I'm talking about in the will of God, and, you know, I'm not just talking about us going on a whim and saying, let's, you know, let's do something. I'm talking about when we pray and seek God's will and we know what God's will is. All God's, God doesn't say you've got to come up with it. He says you bring what you got, okay, and then leave the rest to me. Now, I'm telling you, to a large degree, that happened in this church. Come back, say this afternoon. And again, I, this ain't going to be an hour thing, so don't worry about that. The concert will be, but not, not, my, not, not the preaching part, teaching part. Okay, so, so stick around for that. We only got five loaves and two fishes. That's all we got. Now, time. They didn't even have that. If you read the Gospel of John, Jesus says, go out and find out what you can find. And they get out there and some kid says, well, I got five barley loaves and two fish and and Andrew said, I'll take it. So the five loaves and two fish, they didn't even own that. And you know what? They weren't owners of the fish and the bread. They were only stewards of the fish and the bread. They, they, didn't, have, they didn't bring anything. They didn't have anything. But they were stewards of a young boy's lunch. That's all they were. And guess what? That's all we are. That's all we are. You you need to nail something down in your heart. Psalm 24 and verse 1 and 2 says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. We own nothing. 
God owns it all. And here's the cool part. He entrusts us as stewards, not owners. He entrusts us and gives to us that we can trust Him to do what's right with it. Does that make sense? We've been learning this through financial... Well, they learned it and I got it at home. But Financial Peace University. The Bible's full of verses on stewardship. That we don't own it. It's God's. So, so they come and say, all we have is five loaves, two fishes. In fact, to be truthful, they're not ours. We're just kind of holding them for the young man. And you know what Jesus said? Bring them to me. If we will trust God, and by the way, we have trusted God. I just don't want this to sound too much like a hoo-hoo doorsville sermon. I'm so proud of who we are as a church. But I'm, I'm just reckoning that what happened was we, we showed up 10 years ago and, and we said, okay, God, well, here's what we got. And he said, give it to me. And the Bible says then that Jesus commands the crowds to sit down. He takes the five loaves and two fishes. He looks up to heaven and blesses them. So there's a formula here. We are stewards and so we take what God has given us, given us we place it into the hands of Jesus who looks to the Father and says, Father, would you please bless this? And then the Bible says he blessed them. He broke the loaves and gave them what? Back to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. Do you see the formula? We take what God has given us as stewards. We place it in the hands of Jesus. Then Jesus blesses it, puts it back in the hands of the ministries of the church, and then the church gives it away. Does that make sense? All right, it's going to be hard. Get ready. Because you're just going to have to trust my heart on this one. You want to know your pastor's heart about why we are where we are financially? Because we trust God. And because we give it away. It took us about seven years to pay the remaining balance on this building. And that's without any huge, monstrous gifts. It was, yes, there were some nice gifts there, but it was people just plugging away. Seven years, we paid off $800,000 after raising another $900,000. Now, let that soak in. In seven years, this thing was paid for, and we were debt-free. But you want to hear something even crazier than that? Now, these numbers are approximates, and I may be off some, and that's okay, because I kind of figured it in my head. But while we were paying off over the last 10 years, the seven years we paid for this building, over the last 10 years, we've given over $2 million away. Yeah, I know. Can't believe it, can you? It's the, cra- it's the craziest thing I've ever heard. It's the craziest thing I've ever heard. Uh, God, yeah, that's what I'm talking about, honey. That's what I'm talking about. She said, give God the glory. That's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to tell you, that's so crazy. Well, there's a miracle in the midst, and it's not our miracle. There's a miracle of Dorsville. There's a miracle of Dorsville, and it is not our miracle. People say, well, you've got good people going to your church. We are blessed with some really good professional people. But you know what the bigger blessing than that? Obedient people. Obedient people. That's what the story is. We, we take and, and, and God, we understand God's, you know, God gives us as we're stewards and, and people just give. Just give. Give. 
two million, over $2 million in the last 10 years. I'm talking about mission causes, by the way. I'm talking about the missions. It's crazy. And I tell you this, just to let you know, the day we stop doing that, the day we're going to be in trouble. The day we quit giving it away is the day we're going to be in trouble. So, <laughs> you know, usually the pastor goes, now, you know, straighten my tub, you know, get a little godly. Now, brothers and sisters, here's something I think God wants you to do. I'm just going to tell you this. Y'all just keep doing what you're doing because it's pretty stinking good. <laughs> you just keep obeying God. Keep giving God the glory. Keep loving people. Woo! The last slide in this here movie I put together quotes missionary William Carey. The future is as bright as the promises of God. The future is as bright as the promises of God. Well, the Bible says, verse 20 and 21, I hear you, dumplings. We're coming, honey. <laughs> everyone ate, everyone ate, everyone ate and was filled. They didn't walk away half full. They were satisfied. Then they picked up 12 baskets full of leftover pieces. And I think the lesson there really is just cementing the concept. Because again, every gospel writer recorded this. Jesus wanted them to really understand how sufficient, how sufficient, how sufficient He is. It's not us, it's Him. No matter what area it is, it's not us, it's Him. And now those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. Now, you know I said earlier, you really think this is true? And I said, it's the, it's the Bible. This is solidified in the Word of God. Now, here's the deal. In that culture, even today, women and children are separated from the men. And that's why it says 5,000 men. So there are 5,000 men, and then over here were all the wives and the daughters and sons and all of that. Every commentary you read, every theologian will tell you that there is somewhere in the neighborhood of 10,000 people here. And if you believe the Bible, that's a big crowd. And I do believe the Bible. And it is a big crowd. But you know, with God, all things are possible. You know, the, the, uh, the fact is... In an all-star season, right at nine, eight, nine thousand people passed through this building. Over, uh, over the years of Judgment House in this building, let's say we run about 1,000, 1,100 people because, you know, we're going down just a little bit in crowds because you do a shorter time. If, I, if my math is right, times 10, we started to know six in this building, that's about 11,000 people. Now, did you just get what I said? Over 10,000 people walked through this building during an all-star season. Over our years of Judgment House, 11,000 people have walked through our building. That was a big crowd. But I'm telling you, there's a miracle in the midst. That in a small, obscure neighborhood on a, a street called Feasel, that God has blessed us with people consistently through the years. And that just blows my mind. And I'll just tell you this, and I'm not trying to be humble. It ain't my stinking leadership. Brent, you probably say it's not yours either. And Dave, you'd say it's not yours. 
To God be the glory, great things He has done. Amen? Amen? So, so yeah, come on, come on, come on. So let's, wind, let's, let's land this airplane. All right? It ends right here. If you're here today and you said, someone, someone told me you guys are serving lunch. I said, shoot, I'll do anything for a free lunch. Well, we're glad you're here. But here's the deal. Better than the dumplings is the gospel. <laughs> See, history says it, and we believe it, that Jesus died on a Roman cross something like this. And he died because the wages of sin was death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. In other words, we were like totally a, a spiritual zero. We had nothing to bring to God. We are totally depraved. And because the ways of sin was death, Jesus was willing to die on a cross like that. Wasn't murdered. You know, wasn't forced. He laid his life down. Because God loved us so much. And he sent Jesus from heaven. He strapped on a human body. That's called Christmas. And then he lived a perfect life. Was arrested and had a mock trial. Nailed to that cross. That's called Good Friday. And then on Sunday morning, he came back to life again. And here's what we discovered. This is what Andy Stanley says. I like it. He says, you know, when you have a guy that predicts his death and his own resurrection pulled off, you kind of go with him. You kind of go with him. And on the third day on Easter, he got up again. He is the Son of God. Now, I would not recommend religion to you. But I will recommend unequivocally the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the most awesome Savior there is. And we would love to tell you. We're going to have a decision time this moment. Brother Brent will be standing down front. We don't want to tell you about Dorsville Baptist. We'd love to have you as a member. That's awesome. But we want to tell you about Jesus Christ. Because he's just incredible. He's just incredible. So that's, that's the main thing. And the secondary thing is, I want you to leave today encouraged. I want you to leave today. If you are a regular tender, if you're a church member, if you call this home, I want you to be encouraged. Because I'm telling you, God has done and is doing just really incredible things. All we've got to do is stay focused. All we've got to do is stay focused on God. That's all we've got to do. Keep loving Him and keep loving people. And again, the future is as bright as the promises of God. Let's pray. Well, Father, thank you so very much for the privilege of speaking today. God, I'm so excited about what you've done and what you want to do even today. I pray, Father, probably most of all. Father, I just thank you and pray that people be encouraged and excited about who you are and what you have done. It's beyond explanation. That's exactly how it ought to be, beyond explanation. So we give you honor, glory, and praise for that. And, Father, we also want to pray, Father, for folks today that might be here or perhaps just finished listening on the radio. And, Father, we, uh, if they've not known Christ, if they do not know Jesus Christ as Savior, then, Father, may today be the day when they trust Jesus. Oh, you love them so much. Oh, you love us so much. You are a good, good Father. That's who you are. That's who you are. And we, well, we are loved, and that's who we are. We thank you for the wonderful truth there. So this decision time is yours. Holy Spirit, speak to hearts, draw hearts as you see fit. And, Jesus, I pray this in your precious name. Amen. Let's